catch them stealing or catch them in adultery or catch them, you know what I'm saying? Like catch them in the act. That's not what we're talking about here. Here he's saying if another believer is actually overcome by sin, you who are godly should gently and humbly, humbly help that person back onto the right path. And I like it because NLT says you who are godly, but NIV, the New International Version, I think says it a bit more clearly. It says you who live by the Spirit. You who live by the Spirit. And this is really important because it doesn't mean you just become a Christian and now you, you sit down and you warm a seat. Uh, throughout this whole series, I've been seeing more for myself and hopefully for you guys that when we actually become Christians, not only does it feel great to have a shalom right from the tip of our head down to the bottoms of our feet, that God is with us, God is for us, but we also get marching orders. We also get marching orders at that point to become involved and to serve one another. And it's really, really important. We're not a faith that just sits around. We're a faith that gets involved because we have this incredible treasure of knowing who we are in Christ and that we are set free in him. Don't you think people need to hear that? Yes. And people need to see you live it. So you who live by the Spirit should gently and humbly help the person back onto the right path. Or the, another version says, help restore that person. And this is interesting because if you ask me, one thing that we're pretty good at in the church, and I, put, I lump myself in this, and I mean church in general, is instead of restoring, we like to ignore them. When somebody gets involved in something dicey, let's say a marriage that's gone awry, or somebody gets caught in adultery, or somebody we're not too sure if they're up and up in business, instead of actually walking to that person and having a direct conversation, we like to ignore them because it's like, ah, what do I do? In fact, you know, it's interesting and very sad, but my sister, she, you know, she got involved in a divorce. And at that point, she said when she walked through the mall of her little town of about 10,000, 12,000 people, people that had been dear friends in the past actually would see her and walk to the other side of the mall and cross that way. What's with that? And hold on to that for just a bit, because we're also going to be addressing the, the spirit on which we approach one another. When we actually approach one another for restoration, it's really important not that we just do it and not ignore it, but it's very important how you do it, because you will reap what you sow. So going back here. And be careful not to fall into the same temptation yourself, Share each other's burdens, and in this way, obey the law of Christ. If you think you are too important to help someone, you're only fooling yourself. You're not that important. <laughs> Should we say that together? <laughs> I'm not that important. Go ahead. I'm not that important. All right. Well done. <coughs> Need a drink of water? Pay attention to your own work. For then you will get the satisfaction of a job well done, and you won't need to compare yourself to anyone else. For we are each responsible for our own conduct. Did you just read that? Because here he says we're responsible for our own conduct. And in verse 2 it says, share each other's burdens. Or in NIV it says, uh, share each other's burdens. And in verse 5 it says, make sure that you help each other with your load. So it almost seems that the Bible might be contradicting itself because at one point it says, help each other with your burden. And then later on it says, now carry your burden. Meh, interesting. 
Verse 6, those who are taught the word of God should provide uh, for their teachers, sharing all good things with them. That's almost a self-serving verse this morning, so I'll just kind of glimpse over that one. (laughs) Verse 7, don't be misled. You cannot mock the justice of God. You will always harvest what you plant or you will reap what you sow. Those who live only to satisfy their own sinful nature will harvest decay and death from that sinful nature. But those who live to please the Spirit will harvest everlasting life from the Spirit. So let's not get tired. Let's not get tired of doing what is good. At just the right time, we will reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up. Therefore, whenever we have opportunity, we should do good to everyone, especially those in the family of faith. Father, open your word to us this morning. This is a juicy passage of Scripture that I think is just perfect for us right now. It's sometimes hard to exactly know how to live when we're trying to live with convictions and it seems as though uh, the world, the culture, our nation, a lot of the decisions being made are caving in and making it harder and harder and harder to live for you. But this nails it really well because I think there's going to be some tough decisions and we also know that part of our discipleship in Jesus is learning to think is learning, Lord, to not only be conformed to what we're told, but to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. So, Lord, do us that this morning. Renew our minds. Renew our hearts. Renew our actions. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, folks, I hope that if you get anything this morning from this passage, I want you to know that the trajectory and the outcome and the goal of this passage and the goal of when we are dealing with people that have messed up, the goal is restoration. The goal is restoration. We've already said that it's not ignoring them, but it's actually restoring them. Punishment isn't the goal. Embarrassment isn't the goal. Or teaching them a good lesson. That isn't the goal. The goal here is restoration. And I said even a couple weeks ago that sometimes in the old days it was said to me that the, the church is the only army that shoots its wounded. Uh, I don't know. Maybe there is some truth to that. And I think some of that sometimes comes because of a few things. Sometimes we don't know what to do. When all of a sudden we have great friendships and all of a sudden one of the marriages within our friendships goes awry or somebody commits adultery or something stupid happens or they actually just blatantly sin, we just like, our perfect world has fallen apart and we don't know what to do. Or some of us have been so disciplined. We've been a Christian since five years old and we are so disciplined. We have never missed a morning devotion time. We've never missed a Sunday morning Uh, worship service, nor a Wednesday night prayer night, whatever it might be. We have it all together. So when somebody gets off track, we look through this lens of our religiosity and we look at somebody else going, wait a second, this doesn't make any sense. They're not living for Christ the way that I perceive what it means to live for Christ. And we have slowly become religious. So this is, this is dicey stuff because even for myself, I don't know about you, but sometimes I feel like, ah, I want to grow in my discipline and I, I want to grow in also my relationship, my, my even sensing what the Holy Spirit has for my life. But yet there is this balance, I think, of being disciplined and also hearing and doing spontaneously, but also with discipline. And it's just like, ah, 
but that's the beauty of this relationship. That's why you're a Christian and you haven't signed up for a cult or something like that because the cult will tell you what to do. We don't because this, my friends, is not just a book, but it's a sword, a living, active sword. And it says here that the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten, full of grace and truth. This, my friends, is living. And uh, it's a fantastic book written by Eugene Peterson. We need to learn how to eat this book. We need to learn how to gobble this up. Don't go home, please, and start ripping up. I don't get it. I just don't get it. Um, It means to digest and gnaw on it like a bone. Like your dog, when you give your bone, like uh, we made some kind of beef the other day. Oh, it was at my mother-in-law's. And I'll tell you, I gave that to Gussie, and Gussie looks like a cute little thing, but get out of the way. He's like a pit bull when it comes to some of those bones, right? And he just wants to milk that bone for everything it's got. So here it says, our goal is restoration, to restore people. Not to teach them a lesson, not to punish them, not to excommunicate them. Restoration. And it says here, you who are godly or spiritual, or you who live by the Spirit, you are the ones that are supposed to restore them. But be careful, lest you too will fall into temptation and do the same thing. And friends, there's been a lot of track records of people that have done just that. They've gotten involved with the right motives and stuff like that, but they weren't paying attention and they get sucked into the very thing. In fact, I remember when I got baptized, I was sitting in my room with my buddy Derek and I said, Derek, I want you to help me out because I hear that when you become baptized and you become identified with Christ, that sometimes it feels a bit more intense because now you're actually standing up stepping out and obeying the Lord Jesus Christ, and sometimes more temptation can come your way. And it feels like you got a target on your back. And I remember Derek saying, I, I can't. I can't do it, because he was struggling. And it's interesting, because we had gone camping, and we met a group of people that I, after camping, I never heard from them again. He stayed in contact with them. And what he started to do is meet them in the city, and he was a designated driver for them. Oh, that's lovely. But then suddenly, designated driver wasn't all that fun anymore. Why don't we have a couple of beers? Why don't we have a few beers? Why, in fact, why don't we have a, you know? And he went on and on and on to the point where he, there's no chance he could be a designated driver anymore because he totally got sucked in to the whole thing. Now, don't get me wrong. Designated driver is a cool thing if you can actually help people be safe. But this guy obviously had the temptation and he was not strong in that area. And he shouldn't have been a part of that quote-unquote ministry. And he got sucked into the whole vortex. You who are spiritual or godly live by the Spirit. And it's interesting here because it's really hard because if I say, now come to me, Kathleen, because I'm spiritual. (laughs) Ah, you know, that doesn't quite sound right, right? So if I'm going to say, okay, I need a a group of spiritual people. Come on up here. And you're all just like slinking in your seats. I'm kind of spiritual, you know. But it is one of those things that, the passage also addresses here that you who are spiritual, by spiritual it also means that you will be slopped with humility. Humility is a part of our discipleship. It doesn't mean we're pushovers. It doesn't mean we're doormats. It doesn't mean we don't have boundaries. Absolutely. But humility is part of how we present ourselves. Because we are humble, we realize that we weren't saved by something that came from inside of us, but we actually needed to be rescued by what God had sent Jesus Christ to do on the cross. Yes? 
So humility is a huge, a huge characteristic here. So you who are godly or spiritual, or you who live by the Spirit every day, you who seek to live for Jesus, or let me say it like this, you who have a trajectory of growth in Jesus. So it doesn't mean if you do something stupid today that you are off the list of spiritual people. But the trajectory of your life is to continue to move forward and to grow in Jesus, grow in Jesus, grow in Jesus. Don't take your foot off the gas pedal like we said a couple weeks ago. That is the person here who is called to be part of the restoration process. And here somebody else said this. There's this apostle, he, he, he contrasted the spiritual believers at Corinth with those who were fleshly minded or worldly minded. So believers that can still be totally trapped up into me, me, me and my success and my happiness with those that actually want to have what the Lord has for them. They want to grow in the fruit of the spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. That's the law of Christ. Learning how to love one another, be loved by God, and love them back, and then start loving each other in this spirit of fruit of the Spirit. So here, he's contrasting it with those that are immature and those who are mature. And mature doesn't mean you've done it, you've arrived. It means you're maturing in Christ. And one of the ways we also know that from Corinthians, the book of Corinthians, is those that maybe are Christians sitting here, one of the things is if you still like milk instead of meat. So you just want to show up Sunday and, come on, Steve, give me something to gulp, 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 and just drink, drink, drink. But you never are motivated to open the Bible yourself. You're never motivated to find out your spiritual gift. You're never motivated to say, Lord, what would you like to say to me today? Or you're never motivated to go, you know what? I've been having these troubles in my friendships. What is it, Lord? Is there something you want to say to me? And is there something within me that needs to change? See, there's that contrast. And a milky Christian just sits there like a little birdie waiting for mama to come on back and shove something down the throat. Whereas a meaty Christian starts to pay attention to their diet and go, that's what I need more of. I need to make an appointment with a counselor. I need a spiritual mentor. I need to start serving. I need to crack open my Bible. I need to start praying for others. Growing in Christ. The trajectory of our life is growth in Christ. And like I said, not a legalist. And this is that scary balance that we have. Not setting ourselves up as spiritual and saying I'm spiritual and now everybody come to me. But it is dripping, this person is dripping with fruit of the spirit, which includes gentleness and self-control, which pays which this person would pay attention to others because this person wants not only to grow in Christ, but also cares about the law of Christ, which is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. So restoration is actually part of how we do life together. Restoring one another. It says restore gently and humbly. Restore gently and humbly. And it's interesting when you break apart these Greek words. It has two main meanings. One of them is uh, to restore means to reset a bone. Have you ever had the lovely opportunity to realize that your bone was setting wrong? 
and the doctor has to go, oh. <laughs> was that rehearsed or what? That was awesome. Or was it my sound effect? You know, that didn't help, was it? Resetting a bone. Resetting a bone. So we know that resetting a bone, does it feel good? No, it hurts like crazy. But what's the end result? Healing and restoration. Isn't that cool? So he's using a juicy word here to restore. Doesn't mean that you just come alongside, oh, that's okay. You can keep doing whatever you're doing, even though it's totally stupid and it's ruining your marriage. Keep going. Yeah, good. No. In fact, even there's hints within this portion here that even by gentle, that doesn't just mean, oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. What it does mean is to make sure that you are spiritual, that you're growing in Christ. It does mean that how you approach people, you have a relationship and you're gentle, but also means sometimes that you have something to say and just say, no, no, actually, what you're doing, I don't think is right. So sometimes we actually have a backbone. And this is hard because the backbone people sometimes come from the religious camp. I can hardly wait to admonish somebody. You know, so I think there's this balance of even if you have the gift of admonishment, which is crazy, that is a gift. Or if you have a sense that the Lord is tapping you on the shoulder, I'm going to think that you are going to wrestle with that. I think that'll be one of the marks of you growing in Christ is you'll wrestle with if you actually have to have a tough conversation with somebody, you're not going right on. (laughs) Hardly wait to get there, you know. But it's more along the lines of, oh, shoot, Lord, are you sure you're going to be looking toward him and wanting to do it just right? And you know what? That person might get angry with you. But at the end of the day, we're after the result. And if God is calling you to do something, he's calling you to restore a brother or a sister, and you do it faithfully, and that person rejects you, this is so hard. They're not necessarily rejecting you. They're rejecting what Christ has for them. but we've got to do it in the right spirit. Restore one another. Uh, so mending broken bones, yikes. And another New Testament uh, meaning for it is actually uh, mending fishing nets. Mending fishing nets. You know how important fishing is. We all know that. And uh, I have, you know, Norm, my number two fisherman in here. That's right, number two, because you are looking at number one. <laughs> oh, man, I had to say that. But Norm has fished a lot. He's my father-in-law, and he's fished a lot. A lot. And one of, he, he's got two stories of, you better mend your nets. And one of them is, they, you work all day, and you go out, you get up at an obscene time to go out while it's still dark. You put down your downriggers, you put out your, your, um, your hooks and all that stuff, and you're just trolling, you're waiting for that bite. And finally, sometimes it takes forever. Sometimes it's good, but other times it takes forever. You finally get a bite, and now... All the downriggers and the other hooks got to come up and one guy is doing this and the other person is, is t- kind of in control of the boat and has to get the net. So everything's going good, but if it's been a desperate day, you want to get that fish in the boat. It's not enough just to look at it. It's not enough just to feel that tug. No, I want to sink these teeth into that fish, right? So he was saying about this one time when he was out with his buddy Bob and I'm not sure who had the net at this point, but whoever actually hooked it was bringing it in, 
And then as they went down to get it, and remember from last time, when do you, when do you uh, net it? When it's swimming away or when it's swimming toward? Somebody was paying attention. Thank you. All right. So they scooped it up, but guess what? There was a hole in the net. I bet you that boat was quiet. Or the time where him and his um, brother Barry, where they, were, uh, they went fishing. And then I think it was they had the fish in a sack, in one of those um, potato sacks. And then to hand it over, but it's not the greatest to hold it like this. You really, you still, even if it's in a sack, you got to do this. And they had worked hard for this fish. And then as they were doing this, out it goes, right to the bottom. You don't want to have holes in your nets or holes in the bag when you're transferring your fish. Here he's saying you want to approach a person gently, humbly, spiritually, to set their bones and also to mend the net. You want to have that net have integrity again so they can do what it was called to do. Isn't that a neat word picture? When we realize that our job is to restore somebody even though they may have done something utterly stupid, they may have been warned, whatever, but your job is to restore them so that they can do what they were meant to do. Jesus Christ died on the cross for them, even though they might have messed up again. But Jesus has a calling on this person's life. Now let's be a part of the restoring process so that they can have their bones set, their nets mended, so they can do what they were meant to do. That's what he's calling us to do. Then he goes on to say not only to, uh, that rest- restoration is the goal or that we need to do it gently and humbly, but then he says you got to share each other's burdens. And in verse 2 he says that... You, First of all, share one another's burden. And then I said before, verse 5 says, now share, take care of your own burden. So when we look at that a little bit more, we realize that in the first part, verse 2, is that you got to help each other with burdens when that burden is overwhelming or when that burden is crushing or it's far too heavy. And he's pointing really toward almost a, a synergy, a spiritual synergy at that point. There's, I have been so overwhelmed that I need my brothers and sisters. I don't know how to do this anymore. And that's what he's saying is come and help each other with your load. But in verse 5, he's saying, but you have your own load too. And don't pawn off your load to somebody else because you do have your own responsibility of your own load. So I'm looking at this and I can't give you the perfect answer on that. What exactly is your load and what's my load? But I think sometimes we do definitely know what is our overwhelming load that we need each other. But there's also times or perhaps that we've been caught in this cycle of being so overwhelmed with anxiety that even our package, that our load, we're pawning off on others, and that's not healthy either. It's pointing toward a soldier's backpack. So a soldier will go off to war, and he can't say, oh, this is getting too heavy, and give it to that guy, and that guy gives it. Now all of a sudden one guy's like a mule, and the rest of them are just walking around suntanning. He says we got to have our own load but help each other with carrying the load when it's way too heavy. So share each other's burdens. And be careful, he says, not to, um, that you don't fall or compare yourself to others. You know, one of my favorite verses comes out of 2 Corinthians, and it says, we do not dare to classify or compare ourselves with some who commend themselves. When they measure themselves by themselves and compare themselves with themselves, they are not wise. 
So we can get caught in that trap too. That we can think we don't need restoring because we know other people that are worse off than us. Or I might be spiritual because I'm more spiritual than her. And the whole report card here, I think, in Galatians is saying, stop comparing yourselves to others. Stop looking at each other. Look toward Jesus Christ, the author and the perfecter of your faith. When it comes to our gentleness, when it comes to our humility, when it comes to us, those who are spiritual, you're not growing more than him. No, you're growing in Christ. So it's really important that we get this part here that we can't compare ourselves to others in this whole restoration process because then pride will get a grip on us or it ends up that we might get involved in the same kind of sin. Be careful that you don't fall or be careful that you do not compare yourselves to others. And finally, we come to seven to 10, the verses seven to 10. Let me read it again. Do not be misled. You cannot mock the justice of God. You will always harvest what you plant. Those who live only to satisfy their own sinful nature will harvest decay and death from the sinful nature. But those who live to please the Spirit will harvest everlasting life from the Spirit. So let's not get tired of doing what is good. At just the right time, we will reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up. Therefore, whenever we have opportunity, we should do good to everyone, especially those in the family of faith. I love this. This portion here, you guys, is interesting because he's saying that we, we reap what we sow, but he also talks about having opportunity in verse 10. Therefore, whenever we have opportunity, and this opportunity and some of the words that he's using is wrapped up in this word time. And you and I are caught in this vortex of chronos. We're looking at our watches now, wondering when he'll stop preaching so I can go and would not be the last one in to Chuck E. Cheese's wherever you're going after the service, right? And here, he's actually more pointing toward the word keros. So not chronos, but keros. And keros is God time. And if you know anything about the good Lord, he doesn't seem to be in a hurry. He loves to use people. Sometimes you go through this whole discipleship process, and then all of a sudden you're mightily used when you're 40, 50, 80 years old. And you go like, why didn't we get this going when I was 20? But it seems the word that he's using, keros, really means time, but God time. And it also can mean opportunity. Also can mean opportunity. So therefore, when we have the opportunity, we should do good to everyone, especially those in the family of faith. But be careful because you reap what you sow. So when we look back at that, let me give you a little bit of a picture of how, um, how that's, how that's um, thought of in the, in the New Testament, Old Testament. Just as the time of reaping will come at the proper time, so now we must make good use of the present opportunity to sow the spirit rather than to sow the flesh. So here he's taking this word that's juicy, this keros, and take time and take opportunity. Take time and opportunity to grow in Christ. Take time and opportunity to restore one another. And it's still messy because it's not just time as 
everybody do this Sunday morning at 10. No, opportunity is one of those things. Uh, let me put it this way. The English word opportunity comes from Latin, uh, which means toward the port. So let me say it again. Opportunity comes from Latin, and it means toward the port. It suggests a ship that takes advantage of the wind and the tide to arrive safely in the harbor. Think about that for a second. If I'm the captain of the ship and I want to get to a White Rock Beach at 12 noon, come hell or high water, whatever, I'm going to do it. Well, I'm an idiot because if I didn't look at the tide charts and all that stuff, if I don't pay attention to the winds, to any of that stuff, I'm not going to be a very successful captain. So I love this, the word opportunity in Latin, toward the port, the ship taking advantage, paying attention to the wind, paying attention to the tide so that it can safely arrive at its destination. Are we then to think from this verse that we need to pay attention to opportunities, not just time, but to opportunity to always be ready to share the hope that we have within us? That we're constantly growing in Christ? You don't just go, boy, I got a I got to be a part of restoration. I'll take a couple days and I'll really read the Bible so I can get wicked spiritual. Mm, Probably not what it means. It means that we have this trajectory and that we are growing in Christ. We are spiritual. We're growing in humility. We're growing in strength. We're growing in gentleness. And now when the opportunity comes for us to say something, we can say it. You all know if you're parents that opportunities, you got to snap them up. I remember my oldest kid. Oh, man. Uh, it was the worst to have conversations. This one didn't want to have conversations. All of a sudden, he wants a conversation at midnight. I don't want a conversation at midnight. I want to sleep. And it's just the worst. But, you know, you got to take up opportunities when opportunities present themselves. The brevity of life, he goes on to say, is a strong argument for making the best use of all opportunities that God gives us. Make most of every opportunity. Be ready. Be growing in spirit. So when opportunities come to be a part of restoration process, you get to be a part of it because you have been growing. You have been growing in your spirit with the Lord Jesus Christ. You've been growing in your gentleness. You've been growing in self-control. You've been, it's just fantastic. Pastor Melvin Newland said this, the two greatest enemies of time are regrets for things we did in the past and anxiety about what will happen to us in the future. And lots of us are either stuck in the past or stuck in the future. But how about now? How about the opportunity? How about now? My friends, we're called from our por- a portion of scripture this morning that we who are godly or we who are spiritual should gently and humbly help each other to get back on track. Not to ignore, but to restore. Not to judge, not to excommunicate, not to get out of our uh, get out of our community, but to restore. Perhaps we need a reminder that we needed to be restored in our relationship with God through what Jesus Christ did. It's not because your resume, it's not because what you've done, not because you're great, you have a great hairdo, love it. Nope. It's what 
Christ has done on the cross to restore you. And now you can function in the capacity of why you were even created. There's tons of people, you guys, that are not meeting their potential. There's tons of people that are not taking op opportunities. There's tons of people that have no clue what it's like to have a calling on their life. And you get to be a part of that. You get to be a part of that. So let us be guilty, you guys, this morning of this. And it even says it here in the last verse that especially to those within the church, when we learn to care really well for each other, when we learn to really restore one another, love one another so deeply that gently and humbly we restore each other, don't you think that is going to be so tempting to a world to see that a church is actually getting along and we love and care for even the wounded? What do you think? So let's be guilty of that. And just imagine what it would be like if we can come here and be real with one another and come here with a spirit to restore one another and to be restored. And let's just imagine what it would be like to our communities, to our province, and to the world if we were actually known to be a community of restoration. Not ignoring, not walking on the other side of the mall, but restoring so that that hurt person can now learn to function why why they were built in the first place to function in the lord and in his will amen all right heavenly father i thank you for your incredible portion of scripture this morning that reminds us to be a part of the restoration process and you know what uh i even forgot to mention that we realize that sometimes we're the restorer and sometimes we have to be restored there's going to be portions in my life a number of times where I'm part on the restoration team. And then there's other times where I'm on the team that's res receiving. So Heavenly Father, I pray that this is an honest morning when we realize that maybe some of us have got to grow in our relationship and not necessarily our religion. And maybe some of us this morning uh, don't even have a relationship with Jesus Christ at all. I do pray, Lord, that today they got a piece of how good it could be for them that this is the time, this is the opportunity. Take advantage of the wind and the tide right now to come into the port of Jesus Christ. If somebody's here this morning, please, Lord, help them not leave this place without talking to someone else. And Heavenly Father, if this morning somebody needs to be restored or needs to be made right, I pray that too that you give them the guts or the courage to maybe to whisper to somebody and set up a time for meeting. But Lord, we need restored people. We need restored marriages. We need restored reputations. We need integrity. And Lord Jesus, we just ask that you would visit us that way, that we would make the most of every opportunity and we would be gentle with each other and faithful to each other and we would come and restore one another. In the name of Jesus, we pray.